Das ist gut, ist doch du Voll in der Verkehrt, ist doch weiter du Das ist du, ist doch gut Das ist gut, ist doch weiter du Das ist gut, ist doch du Voll in der Verkehrt, ist doch weiter du Das ist du, ist doch gut Das ist gut, ist doch weiter du Thanks for coming. I'd like to dedicate uh, tonight's class. Um, it was dedicated by uh, Michael and Michal Margulis, our dear friends, um, honor of their brand new baby boy um, who had his bris this past Friday, Naftali Yitzchak. May they have a lot, a lot, a lot of nachas from him. May they raise him in good health. May he be a real light in your family and bring you only nachas and joy and happiness and only, 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 only simchas and only good things. And he should grow up a chassid in Yerushalayim and alamdim and make you both very, very proud. Thank you so much for this dedication. Um, the CD this week was dedicated by the Smolyansky family. And this is an honor of a grandmother. This yard site that is tonight, Fege Basra Moshe Allah HaSholem. May her neshama have a very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May she channel lots of brachas to you and the mishpacha for much mazel, gesund health, and only, only good things. May we merit the coming of Mashiach. May it happen now. Another dedication tonight was by Mrs. Devorah Dahan, and this is in honor of her birthday. May Hashem bless her with a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful good year, and much mazel, And a very big mazel tov on your upcoming simcha, upcoming wedding. Maybe b'shotay v'matzlachas. And uh, you should see a lot of nachas. Another sponsor today was by uh, Stuart Flait. And this is in honor of his father's second yard site, Osher Mordechai Ben Zisa. May his neshama have a very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May he be mashpia and channel down. Much, much brachas are for you and your family for good health and Parnasa Barchava and all, all good in both in the material and in the spiritual. Thank you so much. Um, okay, we're about to begin a very special parsha, Parsha Slech Lecha. And uh, Parsha Slech Lecha begins the story of the Jewish people. It's the story of all of us, and it's so exciting because uh, the first commandment to the first Jew is to take on the world, Lech Lecha, march. God gives his marching orders to his people to illuminate the world, to shine their light upon the entire world. And it's so interesting to be able to stand all the way at the end of history and learn, at the be- learn what was going on at the beginning of history. And we know how how the beginning is wedged in the end and the end is wedged in the beginning. There is a deep connection always between the beginning point and the end point. And we who are standing today at the very, very, very end point of history in which we're wheeling We're wheeling or, or, or um, steering, rather. We're steering the world into its final destination, to its final completion. Now, anybody that doesn't sense all of that going on with all the turmoil that's happening here in the United States tonight, uh, tomorrow, on Election Day, and this, and this, you can sense that something, 
godly, something very, very great is going on. We are humbled that we don't understand what's going on, but something is going on, and we can sense that we're coming to the conclusion. And this is the and we're we're coming to the triumphant victory of Lech Lecha Me'artzacha. Hashem has commanded the first Jew, leave your home, Me'artzacha from your land, Me'ladetcha, and go light up the world. And since then, we are all mar- marching. We are we are all together collectively as a people. We've been around the planet. We've been to every country and to every place, and we've shown our light and inspired, invigorated, and taught the world so much, so much, so much. Um, so that's lech lecha. Now the commandment lech lecha, um, with the name of the parsha, which is lech lecha, means to make progress, to go. It means lech lecha to go, to make progress. So you have to say that the theme of the entire Torah portion, really it's the theme of the rest of the Torah. Once the Jewish people are here, we're all continuing. Every parsha is a continuation of lech lecha. But one thing is for sure, that lech lecha is lech lecha. That means that every pasuk in the parsha has to be consistent with the theme of lech lecha. Now lech lecha means to go, but going means to advance. And the real meaning of going means to advance. It doesn't mean to, to, to walk backwards. It means to go forward, to advance and to make progress. To make progress in what? In what we are all about. What are we all about? We're here as God's agents in this world to illuminate, to shine, to make this world a holy, godly place, to bring universal peace and harmony and love and recognition of Hashem and the service of Hashem by all of mankind to bring the world to its utopian state, Mashiach state. And that's, that's the Lech Lecha. And Lech Lecha means constantly advanced. Every day we're supposed to wake up in the morning. The first thing we're supposed to hear in our, in our mind is Hashem speaking to each and every one of us because every single one of us is Avram Avinu, Avram Osara. And we, are, and we are told by God, Lech Lecha. Wherever you achieved yesterday, wherever you got to yesterday, continue on further and further and further. Don't be satisfied with what you accomplished. Lech Lecha, go. Um, <clears throat> based on this, so we're dealing with advance and progressing in our mission in this world to bring light into this world, to be a light onto the nations, and to purify the world through our Torah and mitzvahs, and to realize our deepest connection to God. As we fulfill our mission in, 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 in the Torah and in the mitzvahs, we all realize our connection. So lech lecha means our attaching ourselves to Hashem in the deepest way which means realizing our deepest, godliest potential. And every day we're supposed to uncover more of that. Lech lecha, move, move. And that's actually the meaning of the word lech lecha, go to you, which means go journey into yourself. It's a very interesting journey. Because on the one, on the one hand, it was an outward journey. Hashem is telling Avram not to live a private life, secluded in his own little place, but to go and shine his light for the entire world. That's on the one hand what the means of lech lecha means. Make, go make yourself public. Like Hashem says clearly, I will make your name, I will give you fame, I will make you popular. Right? So, so that, that's meaning it's an outward journey. But at the same time, it's also an inward journey. Go reach and realize your deepest potential. Go to yourself. You don't even know yourself. You haven't uncovered, you haven't unleashed the power of your soul, the depth of your connection to me. But through this journey and through the 3,000 year trek that we are all Avram Avinu's children walking in his walk, we are realized we're all in the midst of the Lech Lecha, discovering the deepest point of our Jewishness and of our soul and our beauty of who we are as Jews. That's Lech Lecha. 
So now the question then becomes, let's take a look at the parsha and let's see if every if the parsha is consistent with that name. So the beginning starts off flying colors. In the beginning it seems to be going really in a good direction. Avram Avinu is told to go from to, by Hashem to journey. Where to, to? He's not told where, he's told to the land that I will show you. But it happens to be the choicest of lands, the holiest of lands, the greatest of lands, the lands where God began to create the world from. The heart of the universe, the heart of the world, right? Uh, the brain of the world, whatever you call Haram Eriya. It is the highest, it's the, it's, it, it is the most, the godliest of places, the holiest of places. Like we know even today, when anybody goes to Eretz Yisrael to move, to live there, it is commonly referred to as Aliyah. You're making Aliyah. And that's really what it means. It's not just physically going, moving to Israel. It means spiritually you're upgrading. You're, upgrad- you're upgrading to live in God's palace. So Avram Avinu is moving towards Eretz Yisrael, Gavaldig. So there is an upward movement. He's getting, he's, getting, he's getting deeper in his connection. And even when he comes into Eretz Yisrael, he continues journeying. Because the Pasuk describes, comes into the land of Israel, and then he's moving. He's coming from Mesopotamia, which is to the north of Israel, and he's traveling south. Han Negba, his entire journey is southbound. And Rashi says, where is he? Where is his target? To come to Yerushalayim. Even though there wasn't really a city of Yerushalayim, but Avram consents in his soul where Yerushalayim is. So Avram is going towards Jerusalem, towards the holy mountain. Right? His whole journey, Han Negba, to the south. So it's all aliyah, it's all elevation. So it fits very well with the meaning of Lech Lecha Go. But here we get uh, to a bump of a ro- in the road very, very, very soon at the onset. Somehow we find very, very quickly we have a flat tire. Something goes wrong. And um, we need to call AAA. What happens over here? Avram gets stuck. In Yiddish you say, Apanche. You know, the, the, a flat tire. So what happens now? Meaning, the Pasuk describes, there was a ra'av, there was a hunger in the land, there was a famine in the land. As soon as Avram came, maybe, I don't know how long, maybe a, it could have been a couple of months later. Yeah? Rashi says that he stayed in each place for a month or so. So maybe it was a few months later, six months into his entry into the land of Israel. I'm just, I'm just throwing out a, a possible number, but something like that. Period of time after he came into the land, not long, not long after he came in, there was a famine in the land. Rashi tells us that this was divinely orchestrated, like everything else, but particularly because there was no famine in any of the other lands. This is the only land famine in the land of Israel. And more than that, there was never a famine in the world until this famine. This is the first time that there is a famine, there is a, there is a lack of food in, in the world. Okay, Avram Avinu finds himself in a predicament and a problem. He needs food, he needs to feed his family, he needs to feed all of his cattle and what he had. And there is no, there's nothing growing. There is no way that he can support his, feed his family. So what does he do? Um, he realizes that Hashem wants him to do some kind of ishtadlus, at least according to Rashi. But soon in the, later in the class, we're going to find out that some uh, commentators criticize very harshly Avram Avinu for taking the next move. That's according to some opinions, but Rashi doesn't seem to say that. So the simple meaning of the Pasuk is that Avram Avinu knows he's got to do something and God is not giving him instructions, so he's got to help himself. So what does he do? The Pasuk describes, he takes a detour. He leaves the land of Israel, Vayered Avram Mitzrayma, and Avram goes down to Egypt. Now going from the land of Israel and going to Egypt, especially Egypt of the ancient days, that is uh, a regression, and a serious regression. The Pasuk actually calls it a regression. The Pasuk calls it a descent, Vayered. And it's not only because he was continuing downhill, he's going south, Eretz Yisrael is high up and Egypt is lower, um, its altitude is lower, 
above sea level, it's lower and a lower place than Yerushalayim and the mountains and the hills of Yerushalayim. That is that way, but that is reflecting something spiritual. Mitzrayim is a very lowly country. Not, and from all, not only in general, when a Yid goes from Eretz Yisrael to any country, it's a descent. It's a big descent. Now, Avram is going from Eretz Yisrael to the land of Egypt. The land of Egypt is known as Ervasa Eretz. That is the spiritually the most depraved society, the lowliest place the person can be in. That is at the heart of, of Klippa, of the unholy. And Avram, Avram is sent into that. It goes down, descends to Mitzrayim out of all places. A place which is the capital of immorality. And there is where Avram has to go down with Sarah. So here the question is, um, what happened? We're in the midst of a lech lecha procedure. We're in the midst of a process. Hashem is telling him lech lecha. Go realize your purpose. Go, this is your destiny. And suddenly, boom, there's suddenly a, a, an interruption. Suddenly there's a roadblock. And Avram has to stop. Um, of course, okay, it was only temporary because Avram didn't last in Mitzrayim too long. Sarah was abducted. And as a result of that, but the Malach, the angel, had saved Hashem, protected Sarah, and she was returned to Avram unharmed. And Avram was immediately expelled from Egypt. He was told by Paro, get out of here as fast as your feet can carry you. So Avram Avinu left Mitzrayim and came back. So maybe the entire episode of going down to Egypt, leaving Israel and coming back, was a couple of weeks. That's probably not much longer, maybe a month or two. And that was that. But the question is, this descent is recorded in Parshas Lech Lecha, which Parshas Lech Lecha means the name of the Parsha is progression. And this doesn't seem like any progress, this seems to be a setback. Um, now, to, to make, it's not only physically that Avram is leaving the Holy Land of Israel, a place so spiritually elevating, and Avram is going into a place that is, that is so negative and so low and so dark, but it's more than that. It's the cause that caused Avram to leave the land of Israel also is a very negative one. Because here Hashem promised Avram, okay, circumstances, a famine is always negative. When things are, you know, Avram hits economic difficulties. That's not good, right? When there's times that there is prosperity and there are times that there is there's hardship. So hardship is a negative. It, in God's world, there shouldn't be any hardship. If there's hardship, it's because Hashem is concealing himself. But over here, there's particular concealment because Hashem had made promises to him, leave your land and I promise you it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be fantastic. Things are going to be so good for you. I'm going to make you wealthy. I'm going to give you bracha. I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you fame. I'm going to make you everything. This is your journey. And Hashem told him clearly, lecha, lech lecha, which has another interpretation besides what I said before, which means go to yourself. It also means simply, it means go for your benefit. And here, if Avram would have stayed in Mesopotamia, he wouldn't have had a headache. And now he's going to the land of Israel, and he has a huge headache. He can't, he can't even be, God forbid, if he doesn't do anything, he's going to starve to death, him and his family. It's a terrible situation. So obviously, what is going on over here? Hashem is hiding. There is a serious concealment. That's not... That's not progress. Avram is now in the, in, the, in the fog, in the darkness. He doesn't see Hashem. So this is a problem. Now, of course, we can answer that it's a test. And a test, and which it was. This is considered one of the ten tests. That when Hashem brought the famine on the land, and Avram went to Mitzrayim, that was a test. But 
the, the, and, a, and a test is for our benefit. Whenever Hashem tests us is when we um, pass a test, when we are, when we are not, uh, uh, when we don't get uh, thrown off by a challenge, but we keep focused and we do what we need to do, then we actually grow from a test. We come out much stronger than we were before. A test, the word nisayin, which means a test, also means nais, means to lift up, lift up. God is only trying to lift you up, to help you realize hidden powers that you have, that you don't know. You don't, when things are going good, you don't have to dig deep inside yourself in order to do the right thing. But things are difficult and hard. So Avram, and Avram Avinu passed this test. Avram Avinu dug into his reservoirs of faith that he had, even though it, he had a lot of questions. In his mind, things didn't make any sense. It seems like God was not keeping his word. Hashem told him one thing, and op- the opposite happened. So that's a very, very difficult thing. But Avram Avinu dug deep inside his soul to discover his inner amuna and his faith, held on strong even though he didn't have any explanation. But he knew that if God is doing this, this must be correct and right. And like it says that Avram didn't, the Medrash says that Avram didn't ask any questions. He didn't, and if a thought came to him, he pushed it away immediately. There was no, he just went and he said, listen, this is what Hashem wants of me now, this is what I'm doing. So Avram Avinu passed the test. And if he passed the test, Avram Avinu grew from this experience. So then we can kind of say, okay, lech lecha. This too is part of lech lecha. Now he went up, passed the challenge, he went up a couple of notches. He was elevated higher than he was before. That would be true if this journey was only about the private life of Avram. But this journey was not about Avram's private life as an individual tzaddik. This journey was for the benefit of all of mankind. This journey was about, this was a shlichus, this was an, um, Avram was on a mission. There's two things. There's Avram as an individual and there's Avram Avinu as the one who's the, well, who's, who's here to realize Hashem's, Hashem's desire in creation. Avram is the one who's <coughs> carrying this great mission. And the mission is lech lecha, to travel. Which is what? Why did Avram have to ch- journey? To spread God's name. Because Avram was the believer in Hashem, and he was only, holding, hoping, uh, he was only, living, he was only known in his neighborhood. You know, in his, in, in his little town, people knew of Avram and they knew of his teachings, and many people were influenced by him. Like the Pasuk says, that Avram and Sarah had converted and made many converts. Avram converted men and, and Sarah converted the women. Very good. So they had a following. But it wasn't influencing mankind. It was a small following in their own town. Now God was saying, I want you to make you be known all over the world. That's the meaning of Agad lo shemecha. I will make your name, because the Mepharshim asked the question, the Al Shecha Kaddish. What do you mean, Agad lo shemecha? I will make your name, I'll make you popular. Avram is looking for popularity. Avram is one of the most humblest people ever to live. Avram says about himself, Avram, dust and ashes. He doesn't need fame. He's not looking in the spotlight. He's not to be in the spotlight. He's not looking to, uh, for people to honor him. It's the opposite of who he is. So what was Hashem telling him? I will make your name great. It meant by making your name great, I'm making my name great. You are me. And at this point, Avram Avinu has 100% identified with his, with his mission. His existence is his mission. His beingness is his mission. And his mission is to spread God in the world. So the Medrash gives a very interesting analogy for it. The Medrash says this is a magnificent, delicious, 
um, bottle of perfume that has just a, a wonderful, um, um, a wonderful smell, a wonderful scent, and the, the perfume. But no one gets to smell it because the perfume is locked up in a, in a little room, in a, in, a, in a closet, in the back of a closet. No one gets to, 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 to smell this magnificent scent. So this is the story with Avram Avinu. He was in a closet. No one, no one, no one knew of him. So Hashem said, just like you take take the perfume out, carry it out on the street. And let people enjoy, let people benefit from this magnificent scent. So the scent of Avram Avinu, when he traveled to a place, he had a tremendous influence on wherever he went. First of all, he, he worked on it. He called for, for, for people to, to gather and he gave lectures and talks and he wrote books. And he, 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 he spread his name out. And just by the mere fact that such a tzaddik came to the place, it had a very big impact. So that is that. So that's the mission. Now, so this is what was supposed to happen: that when Aaron was going to come into the land of Canaan, it will publicize God's name, and it will bring a wayward people—the people that were all into idolatry, believing in the various different, many different gods—that they would give up on their belief on this on the, on the foolishness and accept monotheism that Avram Avinu was teaching. That was the purpose of this journey. But let's see what happens. When Avram comes to the land of Canaan, the exact opposite happened. You see, it would have worked out if it would be like Yaakov. When Yaakov came to Haran, what happened? Haran was blessed. The reason why they wanted to keep him there, and they love and tricked Yaakov seven years, another seven years, to keep him there, and then told him, stay longer, you didn't make any, I didn't pay you yet. This was a little trickery. He wanted to keep Yaakov because Yaakov, everybody saw, it was clear to the entire town that from when the day Yaakov walked in, tremendous blessings happened to Haran. They were, they, their economy shot up because like happened with the Jews all the time. Whenever Jews go somewhere, uh, it, 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 it becomes, that country thrives. And so it happened when Yaakov came to Mitzrayim. We know that the Nilus rose up to Yaakov and then Yaakov benched power that that would happen. But what do you see from here? That um, when a tzaddik comes, for, comes somewhere, it brings a blessing. But here, the total opposite happens. Avram comes to the land of Canaan, the land of idolatry. And as soon as he walks in, for the first time in history, there is no food. So what, and when did, it, when did this happen? When did this terrible catastrophe happen? When the Jew moved in around the corner. This is what had happened. When the Jew moved in, moved into the neighborhood, that's when it happened. The Jew who's laughing at the gods, and here you see, he moved in, and this is what happens. So obviously it was a tremendous chilul Hashem, it was a disgrace of God's name. So, it's, so on Avram you can say personally, the test made him stronger, and he grew, and so therefore you can call it a lech lecha. But what kind of lech lecha, what kind of progress is, is it for the mission? For him individually, you can say, lech lecha. But for the mission, it's not a lech lecha. On the, on, for the mission, it was throwing, throwing back whatever Avram had accomplished. It threw things back uh, away when now Avram had to undo the damage. I don't know how long it took him to be able to convince people that it wasn't the gods that were upset. Whatever. So you see, so, so that's a big question. How are we going to reconcile this with the lech lecha, with the constant growth and the movement to go higher and greater? Make matters worse, this is all just about Avram leaving Eretz Canaan. How about when Avram comes to Mitzrayim? It would have been bad enough had he come to Mitzrayim. Okay, he would have hung out over there, purchased like the Shvatim, come to Mitzrayim, and they buy some grain and they come back. 
But when Avram comes to Mitzrayim, it's a whole different story. His beloved wife of his youth, uh, who was gone with Mesira Snafish, with total devotion, without questions, God spoke to him, not to her. When he told him, Lech, Lech, we know she was a bigger Navua than him, fine, but not necessarily that the commandment came. She went because of simple faith in her husband, following God. And here he schleps her down to Mitzrayim. And uh, he gets her into a serious mess. Yesterday I went to hiking. Uh, I took my wife hiking. You know, my wife doesn't usually want to come with me. Yeah, she came. Okay, she knows already. She knows to be careful. So I'm telling her, this is a good trail. So we're going on the trail, up, 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 and we're going, and we're going. And she's very tired, and she's saying, no, no, when are we trying, can we go? I said, no, no, you see, I look on my map, soon we're hitting the part that's going, we're going back the other way is longer. Okay, we get to the very tippy top, and um, it's a loop. Okay, so about this, until now, it's like a wide trail. Now, it becomes this very, very narrow little trail like this, and it goes down. Now, I know deep in my, when I see that, that that means that uh, I don't know what's happening, I don't know what, you know, this, this trail is a normal trail. But the curiosity of me that likes to be pioneer all the time and go something will never give in and say, let's turn back and go back the other way. If this is what I decided I'm doing, this is what we're doing. But I have my wife with me, right? Okay. So I say, nah, 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 just a little bit over here. Let's just start. And if it gets too difficult, it didn't take more than five minutes. And we were in such gahak tetzaris. We were on a slope like this. Gravel was going down. There were cliffs looking down. And, and, and one slip and forget it. And we made our way down. Meanwhile, it's already way, it's quite a bit after sunset. It's, it's getting darker and darker. And I'm saying every few minutes, we're there, we're there. She was so scared that she was afraid even to give me a hard time about the fact that I took her there. Baruch Hashem, we got down alive. Maybe I should do a, a, a goimal. You know, it's, it's, one thing, it's, it's one thing I know when I get myself into trouble, but I had to schlep her into this problem, right? So this is what happened with Avram and Sarah. He brings his wife down to Mitzrayim, and she gets into trouble. She's Para goes, the king, she's whisked away to Para's palace. Now, given that nothing happened but the trauma, the trauma that happened to Sarah to be taken to Paris, this, the, just the shame and the discomfort and that whole, that whole experience, does she really need it? Does Sarah need this? And, 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 and so why is this good? What's the positive element over here? Why? Okay, you know, whatever Hashem is doing, Hashem is doing for a purpose. I understand. Very good. But where's the lech lecha in all of this? Where's the lech? Where's the growth in this? It seems to be so negative. It's a terrible thing that happened to Sarah uh, when she was taken to, to, to Paro. So again, lech lecha. Lech lecha progress. What's the progress? And... In addition to that, in addition, and, and spiritually we also know, here's another element. We know that aside for the physical trauma of being taken to Paro, um, there was something else. We know that when, we spoke about this last year in the Shir, that when Saro was abducted by Paro, Paro was able to latch himself onto her soul and start, um, and start um, um, deriving energy from her. Sarah was the physical incarnation in this world of the Shekhinah. She was the only Jewish woman alive, and Jew, the Jewish woman represents the Shekhinah. So she contained within herself the, the Shekhinah. And when it says, we learned about this last year, that when Sarah was taken to Paro, it was because this needed to give, since the first, this was a preparation for the exile. 
And this was since there was going to be a Gullus where the Egyptian, with the Klippa of Mitzrayim, the, the country of Mitzrayim, was going to have control over the Jewish people. They first needed to be empowered because God never ever lets his children become enslaved by a nation that is not a superpower. So they needed to become super strong and super powerful. And how did that happen? By Sarah spending one night in Paro's palace, Paro became very, very spiritually wealthy. Even though he couldn't, we spoke about this last year, even though he couldn't harm her, Bipnemius, internally he couldn't harm her, he couldn't, couldn't touch her. But on some deep level, he managed to have what's called Yenika Sachitzonim. The other side gets power. And this remained, and the effects of this was going to be for another 430 years until the Jewish people, or 425 years, until the Jewish people were going to come out of Mitzrayim. So this was a very, 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 very terrible and bad thing. Obviously it has a purpose, but still it is a bad thing. And again, this is part of Lech Lecha. Now, on Avram Avinu's side, how did going to Egypt affect him? Okay, he wasn't taken to Paris. Paris. So first of all, the trauma of his wife being taken away. Taken away. Uh, that itself is terrible. But in addition to that, going into, into Mitzrayim was toxic for Avram Avinu as well. The Torah tells it to us. It says when Avram came down to Mitzrayim, he turns to his wife and he says, now I know I know you're beautiful. And everybody's wondering what do you mean? He's married to her already for, uh, for, for, for 50 years. And, and now suddenly he tells her, I know you're beautiful. So Rashi says he noticed her beauty now because they were crossing a, a, a water and as they crossed the water, he saw her reflection. Until now she was very tzniistic. That's what it says. And he didn't notice her beauty, but now he noticed her beauty. The Baal Shem Tov says, and this is not quoted in Kesar Shem Tov, it's quoted in Sefer Ma'or Einayim from the Chernobyl Rebbe, Rav Nocham of Chernobyl, in, in Sefer Shemos, I think in Parsha Shemos. He says an amazing thing. He says, Avram Avinu, in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, never noticed the beauty of his wife, Sarah, because when he got married to Sarah and he looked at Sarah, he saw Sarah as a neshama, as a soul. He saw the beauty of her soul. He saw her godliness. And the body is only a shell. The body is a container. If I was to come out and show you a 25-carat, beautiful, uh, fancy pink diamond, or blue diamond, talking about millions and millions of dollars. I mean, it's an incredible stone. And you're looking at it, and then I ask you 15 minutes later, was it in a black case or in a white case? You might not remember. You even notice the case. The case, who cares the case? You notice the diamond. When Avram married Sarah, he saw her. Now, Sarah was one of the most beautiful women ever to live. That's what it says. It says she was a reflection of Chava. Yeah, she came close to the beauty. There's a big difference. She, couldn't, she didn't come close to Chava, but she was second, kind of, in winning the beauty contest after Chava. She was exquisite. You see, they took her to Paro because of her beauty. But yet, Avram Avinu, she say, it's not that Avram Avinu was from, and he didn't want to look at a woman. It's his wife. He's allowed to look at a woman. It's, that's, not, that's not what was going on. Her physical beauty was canceled in her, in her light, in her godly light that was shining. And that's all he saw. And he never noticed the physicality of her. But when he came down to Mitzrayim, because Mitzrayim is a superficial uh, place that only sees superficiality, they're living in Klippa, they're living in Shell, they're related to the realms of Klippa. Klippa is all about Shell, all about the outside. It only sees Chitzonius, it doesn't see Pneumius. The words that the Balshemtev uses, it began to emerge in his mind 
Machshavis thoughts from the Shvira, from the, from the shattered world. And Avram Avinu's mind is not in the shattered realm. He's in the rectified realm. But when he's coming to Mitzrayim, he's being hit by the thoughts of the Egyptians. The immoral thoughts of the Egyptians were began, begin entering into a psyche. And as a result of that, he says to his wife, I noticed that you are beautiful. Meaning, Egypt has had an effect on me. Rebbe Lamelech of Lezensk, I saw this a few weeks ago, in the Sefer, Naim Lamelech says, it says, Vayeda Adam es Ishtoi. That Adam knew his wife. It's talking about that they were intimate. Adam and Chav, and they had a child. Vayeda Adam es Ishtoi. So the Naim Lamelech says, you think about who these tzaddikim, you think about Rebbe Lamelech of Lezensk, and these Hasidic masters, they were such that, he writes, that the, 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 this is the first effect of the sin of the Eitz Hadas. It says, what's the effect of the Eitz Hadas? The Yerida, the fall that Adam had. What was his fall? He knew it was his wife. He had relations with her and he knew, meaning he knew her as a physical human being. As opposed to like tzaddikim, real tzaddikim, in their intimacy, it's a pure godly element of fusion of spiritual spherot, of attributes that are unifying in the spiritual realms. The fact that he was conscious that he was with a physical woman, that itself was already indicating of the fall of what, of weir, of, of, of adumeration. So that happens to Avram Avinu, the same thing. He is now in a fallen state that Avram Avinu sees that Isha Yafas Mara'at, that you're beautiful. If that's the case. So we're talking about a Yerida on so many levels, a fall on so many levels. How does all of this fit with the basic notions we said earlier? Lech lecha, meaning advance, grow, progress, grow in your Yiddishkeit, grow in your morality, grow in your holiness, grow in your refinement, grow in your, in your, in your mission, in realizing what I want in this world. And here we see total opposite. And the answer to that is um, that, or one of the possible answers to this, to this is, that we know that the deeds of the fathers, Maisa Avas, the deeds of the fathers, Simon Labanim is a sign for the children. That whatever the forefathers had gone through in their life, that is a sign for the children. That doesn't only mean that it's symbolic. You look at the lives of the fathers and you see everything that happened to them was going to replay in the children, but as we spoke many times, it's more than symbolic. It means that they were actually the ones who carved out the way. They were the trailblazers. They were the ones who had, because they did what they did, we were able to follow in their footsteps. And their actions actually brought about, it caused, their deeds and their actions caused what was going to happen to the Jewish people. So when Avram went down to Mitzrayim, Avram and Sarah went down to Mitzrayim, that itself carved out the way for the Jewish people to go to Mitzrayim. That was a preparation for the Gullus. And they went there before us, because had Avram and Sarah not gone there before us, we would never, and dealt with the, with the ferocious darkness of Mitzrayim, and overcame that darkness, and be victorious, triumphantly victorious over it. Had Avram and Sarah not gone down to Mitzrayim and been challenged with that challenge, we the Jewish people would never have been able to go there, because had we gone there, we would have been swallowed by the Egyptian dragon in an instant. So what happened? Um, the, the, the Avram went to Mitzrayim. That was the, that was the, the, the beginning of Gullus, of the exile. That, that was a precursor to the Gullus, to the exile. Now, so once we know that, and Avram Avinu coming out of Mitzrayim, very close, the next day or so, when Avram is leaving Mitzrayim, sent away by, by Pah, and he's chased away, Pyro tells him, leave, don't stay over here. This is the, the Nasinas Koach, this is the empowerment, and this is the, what opened up 
Geulas Mitzrayim, the going out of Egypt, the redemption, the Egyptian redemption of Pesach and the Egyptian redemption came about through Avram and Sarah. Once this is the case, then we know that we have now perspective. This gives us perspective because we can now look at Avram going down to Mitzrayim and coming out of Mitzrayim from the perspective of, of, of how do we look at the exile of the Jewish people. So when we look about the exile, on the exile of the Jewish people, the Egyptian exile, we are today already three and a half thousand years later, and we have very good 2020 hindsight. The hindsight that we have from the Golos Mitzrayim is as follows. Yes, the, ex- the Golos in Egypt was a horrific and terrible and brutal Golos. In many ways, it was the worst Golos the Jewish people have ever had. But we ask anybody of us today, what kind of impact does it have to, on you today, all that suffering and all that torture, mental, emotional, whatever, does that have an, some kind of an impact on our nature and our Jewishness? Quite on the contrary, we the Jewish people are the machers, the movers, the shakers, the entrepreneurs, the people, we don't look like a clan of slaves at all. No one is ever going to say about the Jewish people that they are a submissive, uh, broken people. That's not at all who we are. There isn't a trace of that agony and of that suffering. What is left with the, what is left from that entire godless experience? One thing: the enrichment. We have Pesach. We have Yetzias Mitzrayim. We have all the gold and the silver that we took out of Mitzrayim, which means physical and spiritual wealth, which the Jewish people have always remained a people with wealth, physically up and down, but spiritually we're up. And the Golos Mitzrayim led us to the led us to Matan Torah. So we know clearly that the entire descent to Mitzrayim, looking at it now, not while the people were suffering, but looking at it now, we know that the descent was for the sake of an ascent. So Avram and so we, once we know that, we apply the same thing to Avram and Sarah. Then Avram and Sarah, since they're going into Mitzrayim and they're coming out of Mitzrayim, was what led, that was the key, that was the empowerment for the Jewish people to have Golis Mitzrayim and Geulas Mitzrayim. The exile of Egypt is a is a, is a um, necessity to be able to come to the Gullah. Not only that, but actually the manner in which we withstood the Gullahs also came about through Avram and Sarah, particularly through Sarah being taken to the palace. Because we know that what kept the Jewish people, what was the merit that the Jewish people had to leave Egypt was that they kept segregated, they kept their family purity, they remained Jews and they did not intermingle with the Egyptians. They didn't marry into the Egyptians. Not only that, but the Egyptians didn't have any power over the women, over the Jewish women, which is an unbelievable miracle of miracles that just is one of the biggest miracles in history. Because you read anything about slave cultures, and you know what was, and, and we understand how, who, who was the most vulnerable were the women. And especially in Egypt, where we're talking about the Egyptians are the lowliest, and those ancient Egyptians were the most immoral of all, to the point where Rashi distinguishes between Paro and Avimelech. That Avimelech tells Avram Avinu, you can stay over here. No, once they know that I'm, I'm, I'm protecting you, you're okay. But Paro tells Avram, you run away from Mitzrayim because I can't guarantee your safety of your wife because the people over here are very lustful. The people over here are very, very lowly. And here you have the Jewish people enslaved for 210 years in a country and the enslavement was absolute, yet not one Jewish woman was harmed, was violated the entire time that they were there. Besides one story. Besides one. Besides that nothing. One. 
It's because of Sarah. She went into Paro. She came out from Paro's palace. So you see that Avram's being in Mitzrayim and Sarah's being in Mitzrayim was the empowerment and the schus and the strength for the Jewish people to go into Golos. And we know that the Golos has a purpose and that the darkness is preceding the light. And not only is the darkness preceding the light, but the darkness is a necessity. In order to get to the light, you need to go through the darkness. In order for the Jewish people to be able to come out with the great wealth, like happened to Avram and Sarah, they were the pioneers. When they went out of Mitzrayim, they went out loaded because Paro had to compensate. He didn't want Avram Avinu to talk about this. Okay? He was embarrassed that this would get into the press. Of, of what he did. So in order to shush Avram Avinu, he said, you know what, let me load him up with, 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 uh, with gifts and presents and the like. So Avram Avinu left Mitzrayim a wealthy man. And this was to, for the Jewish people as well. And as I mentioned earlier, the physical wealth was an indication of great spiritual wealth, which meant that the sparks of holiness that we took out of Egypt, which are most of the sparks of holiness that fell down, which we've spoken about so many times, and I'm going to get into it again, which we know that the main power of holiness and godliness lie in these sparks that are buried in the darkest of places. Most of the sparks of holiness, 202 out of the 288 sparks, were already elevated when we went out when we, through Gullus Mitzrayim. So we came out in enriched people, unbelievably enriched. And we would have never been able to have that had we not gone out. So the descent is for the sake of an ascent. Now we can understand why it's called Lech Lecha. To understand this a little better, we know, to understand how the very idea... So it's not two things. It's not like there is Golos and there is Geula. The deeper meaning of the Golos itself, of the exile itself, is the redemption. So the Golos, even though technically we're going down, it's not about going down, it's a preparation. It's like a person crouching down in order to gain muscle strength to be able to leap up. So you're going down, but the down is part of the going up. We find that in learning. It's an interesting. There's two, there's two um, parts to the Talmud. Talmud is the main body of Jewish of Torah, of, of Torah, right? So there's two parts to the Talmud. There is Talmud Bavli, two versions rather, let's say. Two versions of the Talmud. Talmud Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud, and Talmud Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud. And there is a fundam- there's a big difference between them. Talmud Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud, is, was made a hundred years after the Jerusalem Talmud. It was made in Babel. Babel is Iraq. A modern day Iraq, okay? That's where the Jews were at that time. That's where the sages were who constructed, that's where the sta- sages are who constructed the Talmud Bavli. Talmud Yerushalmi was made a hundred years earlier in Yerushalayim. I mean, even though it was after the destruction, but it was still pre-destruction era. The, the Jews still, the, the lived there, were still the Yidin who saw the Beis English. So they were in a much higher state. That's why you find an interesting difference between Talmud Bavli and Talmud Yerushalmi, that in Jerusalem Talmud, whenever they discuss a certain subject matter, they don't have a, a lot of give and take questions back and forth. Immediately, the subject is clear. There's a few questions always. Someone, something is stated. Sometimes there's one or two contradictions. But very quickly, things are sorted out and they come to a conclusion. When it comes to Talmud Bavli, however, anybody that has done some Talmudic study, there's a question, and there's refuting, and there's an answer, and there's the refuting of the answer, and back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and you, your mind goes crazy. You can have three, four, five pages discussing something back and forth until you reach a conclusion. And the reason for that is, the reason why the Babylonians had so much more to discuss, and the Jerusalem sages didn't have that, but it's because they were living in a darker place. 
the Torah wasn't so revealed to them. The Torah was more hidden. See, once the Jewish people went to exile, the Torah also goes into exile. And when the Torah is in exile, it is camouflaged, it's covered up, it's concealed, it's obscured. It's very hard to see a Torah idea with clarity. You have to do a lot of peeling. You have to remove a lot of klipa. And it says that every question that you have is coming, the reason, what's a question? A question is something is blocking you from seeing the truth of the Torah. That's why you have a question. Sometimes people feel so, so great. I asked Akasha. That means I'm chewing on a big klipa. It's not a bad thing to ask Akasha, but Akasha Be'etzam, we learned it in Tanya the other day, it says in the Zohar, is coming from the other side. There is something blocking. Now obviously that's our job. Our job is to peel away the klipas that are there. Fine. In, 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 those Yidin who lived in Yerushalayim had less klipa to deal with, less distraction, less questions, less, they had clarity. So they were able to zoom in right away into the right explanation. The, the Babylonian needed much more back and forth and back and forth in order to crystallize any idea of Torah. Okay, so I would ask you the question. If in any subject matter where there's Jerusalem Talmud discusses it and Babylonian Talmud discusses it, um, which one would you rather learn and which one should be the one and that has a, at the very conclusion, who has a clearer um, take on the subject? So generally, we would think, okay, the Jerusalem people who were studying Talmud without their eyes blindfolded. So obviously, they were able to see things clearly. The Babylonians had that, were blindfolded. They had these obstacles. So good, okay, it's good. But So generally, we would think, what happens if there is a conflict between the Babylon and the Rishalmi? That the Jerusalem Talmud comes to a conclusion that is inconsistent with the Babylonian Talmud. What's the halacha? So we would all think, like the Rishalmi, because Rishalmi is a higher book with greater sages. The answer is no. The halacha is like Talmud Bavli. That's, the, that, that's a rule. Wherever there is a conflict between the Bavli and the Rishalmi, the halacha is like Bavli. Even though on Bavli, the Gemara says, B'machashakim hashivani, you put me in darkness. It's a pasuk. In Eicha. It says, B'machashakim hashivani, you put me in darkness. Yet, the law is like the Talmud Bavli. What does it mean the law is like the Talmud Bavli? They conceived better what God wants. They got to the truth of it more than Talmud Yerushalmi. You say, how is that possible? And the answer is because of the challenges and because of the difficulties, because of the back and the forth, because of everything, every time you have any, 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 any idea of Torah, it is, it, you find 20 contradictions. And you have to sort out this way and that way and that way. And by rubbing it in all directions against every possibility, and finally when you get to clarity, the clarity is so much clearer, it's so much deeper, it's so much, it's, it, it has, because... You, 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 you really, really had to sink your teeth in so deeply to get to its conclusion. When things come easy, then you initially use your external mind and you don't use your deeper mind because it's not necessary. That's why the Allah is your Kishami. What do you see? But So you're going to ask like this. According to that, so what do you see from here? If someone only studies the questions when you learn, uh, if you, you're learning Gemara, the time till you get to the Maskana, sometimes it, it can take you three weeks of learning, or you learn three blot of Gemara. So you might think that during those three, three, three blot, you don't have to make because I didn't get to the answer yet. And therefore I'm still mistaken. I don't have clarity. I have only confusion. I'm sitting down to learn and I have a big, uh, a heap of confusion in my mind. A bunch of questions. And therefore, I, this is not Torah. It's just... All the, all the klipa that's covering up on the Torah. And the answer is chas v'shalom. Why? Because in order for you to get to the ultimate truth, you have to go through this. And if not for these questions, you would never get to the... If I would give you the answer right away, you would never get to the depth of understanding like when you go through it. So therefore, those very back and forth arguments, which we might argue is not the truth, 
They too are part of the truth. Even though they're meant to contradict the truth, they too become part of the truth. They become part of the MS of Torah. And the same is about exile. All the challenges and difficulties that we have in exile, they too are not just an introduction to something good, that too is good, even though in our minds it doesn't seem to be good, it seems horrible, but that too is part of that goodness because its only purpose, its only purpose is to lead to a deeper and higher goodness. So based on this, and the same is actually also true about Avram Avinu when he had those negative thoughts that came into his head, a physical beauty that, that distracted him from his purity and from his holiness. The Mo'er Inayim from the Balshemtov says, why did ultimately these thoughts come into Avram's head? Why did it come into that? So that he can be able to elevate other people's thoughts. It says many times when a tzaddik is davening and he gets distracting thoughts, it's not his own thoughts. The, uh, in Tanya, it also talks about it. It's not his own thoughts. It's thoughts of other people that need a tikkun. It's sparks of holiness of other people's thoughts that the tzaddik is able to rectify them and elevate those thoughts. So when ultimately Avram Avinu, even though it caused a temporary distraction for him, but ultimately he lifted up those broken shards, those broken thoughts of immorality that came to his head. He fixed it. So it comes out that the very descent is part of an ascent. To him, to him and Sarah, to the entire... To the, to the in Golos and in Giyula, the whole thing, one leads into the other. So really we can say, it's Lech Lech. It is a, what seems to be a, we're being thrown off is really, which by the way, gives a very, very, very important um, strengthening, chizuk, to each and every one of us. Because as we go through life, and as the Golos is, holding on with an iron fist and it hasn't let go yet. And sometimes we get very, very frustrated and chas v'shalem that we can fall into despair. We don't know where the direction the country is going. doesn't look like any of the options that are being presented uh, seem to be uh, the ideal. We don't know what's happening. There's a big mess out there. And like the Gemara says, um, there isn't a day there is that the curse is not bigger we see Israel being in danger we see, we see the Jewish people the, the, the anti-Semitism we see problems we, as far as we can look ahead we, see, we don't see the good and it gets darker and a Yid has to know that no matter what is happening the world is continuously in a state of advancing to its goal and to its ultimate mission. And it is, since God is the one orchestrating all the events, and God is good, so every event that's happening in the world is for the good of the Jewish people and for the good of the ultimate goal and the ultimate mission. Of course, we tell Hashem, Ebishter, please hurry up a little bit. Get this thing going already. We understand that. And we, have, and we should do that, and we're supposed to do that. We discussed that another time. But on the other hand, that shouldn't in any way dampen our Ramuna to know that every single event that's happening, and even times when it seems like it's becoming so difficult to be a Jew, spiritually as well, people are so worried because you know, young people today are so challenged with all the, all, the, um, all the technology and all kinds of exposure that everybody has to everything. And givald, what's going to happen to our children and what's going to be with the future. And people have, have these, these concerns. And it's true, of course, it's a valid concern and we have to worry. And, 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 but on the other hand, we do need to know that these children that are going through these battles and challenges which other generations didn't have, they are going to be the strongest Jews that have ever been. The strongest Jews that have ever been. 
It's not like, oh, Gavalda. No, no, no. This generation has been the most powerful generation. Because we're so exposed to everything in the world, and yet we're Jewish. And yet we study Torah, we do mitzvahs. So it brings out a greater depth in us and who we are. It makes us unbelievably holy and godly. We are the holiest of nations, the holiest of generations, precisely because we have all this, and yet we're Jewish. Okay. But now we come to a last and final important question. What I left out was one piece of the puzzle, or one very important, um, one very important idea about Avram going down to Mitzrayim, which throws a monkey wrench into everything that I just said. And that is as follows. There was one opinion, and then as I mentioned him earlier quickly, that Nachmanides, who we have to reckon with, because Nachmanides is way up there in the, in the greatest of the commentators of Chumash. And Nachmanides this, um, accuses Avram Avinu with a, very good, with a very great accusation. Nachmanides says that our father, Avram Avinu, sinned a very big sin when he decided to go down to Mitzrayim. He should have just relaxed and said, God, you sent me here. You didn't tell me to leave. I, you are going to care for me. And if it means that you're going to send me mana from heaven, let it be mana from heaven. And that could have happened. Hashem would have provided. The fact that he began to worry and to scheme of how he's going to take care of him showed on a lack of trust and a lack of bitachan in Hashem. And therefore, that was a lack of his amunah. So he should never have gone down to Egypt. And because he went down to Egypt, that's why Sarah was abducted. And then the, 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 the Ramban even takes it so far that these sins, and it followed with another sin, the very fact that Avram Avinu was willing to kind of to sell his wife off, to say, protect me, you say you're my sister, and you're not my, right, in which he was protecting himself, another sin Ramban accuses Avram Avinu. Now, we discussed the, the reason why Avram did that in another class worth listening to, but that's Ramban's take. And the Ramban actually says that the reason why the sin of why there is gullus why is there Gullus Mitzrayim? According to the Ramban, if I'm not mistaken, I didn't check it up this year, but if I'm not mistaken, Ramban says, it was because Avram went down to Mitzrayim, his children were decreed upon them that they're going to have to be enslaved in the Mitzrayim for 400 years, and the end was cut down to 210 years. Fine. But that's what we're payback for that sin. So Avram Avinu did do an Avera. Okay, according to him. Again, there are other Mepharshim who argue on Ramban uh, that a person is not obligated to sit and wait for a miracle. Ain't Semchen Alanes. If... You're in a situation where you, where you can help yourself and in any given situation, you're obligated to help yourself. So that's a discussion onto its own, whether it was a sin or whether it wasn't. But according to the Ramban, it was a sin. If this is the case, the entire structure that we built up before falls apart. Because the rule that we said before, that whatever happens in the world, even when it seems to be bad and dark and even bleak and extremely, extremely dark, you should know the famous rule, Gamzula Tova, this too is for good, and it's going to lead for good. All of that is good as long as God is the one who's doing it. But when it comes to choices that God says, I am not mixing in, and I am letting you do what you choose to do, and I am giving you two paths, you can choose good and you can choose evil. I am recommending Bacharto Bachayim, you should choose what is right, but you have a choice to choose. And that's in all matters in regards to our morality and ethics. All elements of Torah and mitzvahs the Abishter gave a person free will to choose. And in these things, God does not mix in. If we're saying that Avram sinned, that means that Avram had a choice. You can't have a sin without a choice. So if we're saying that Avram Avinu sinned, it means that Avram had a choice. And if Avram had a choice, it means that God was not directing that action. And if God was not directing that action, who says that what? There was a sin. 
If it's a sin, then how is that a lech lecha? How is that, how is that progress? A sin is not progress. A sin is going in the opposite. Sin is a fall. As long as we're talking about circumstances, till now, we're talking about circumstances outside of Avram's Avinu's. Okay, Avram is doing the best in the circumstances that he's in. And we're explaining that ultimately these challenging circumstances were for the good. And that's why it's considered part of Lech Lecha, because it left him to a greater good. But when Avram himself is making a choice to do something that he shouldn't have chosen to do, so this is his own fault. If this is his own fault, maybe he's running himself down into the muck. He's running himself into destruction, and maybe Taka is a fault. But he did tshuva, he fixed, whatever. But the thing itself is bad. If so, how is it a Lech Lecha? What's the story? How is this part of the story of Lech Lecha? Which Lech Lecha means progress on every Pasuk of Lech Lecha is a progression. Where is the progression in the, in the, in the negative element of Avram Avinu sinning? Now the truth is you can distinguish an answer in regards to Avram Avinu. That what do you mean Avram? When Ramban says that Avram sinned, what do we mean when Avram sinned? Is Avram even capable of sinning? That's the question. A true tzaddik can sin. What's a sin? A sin is that you're actualizing evil. All of us, each and every one of us, are programmed. We have two voices in our head. Yetzatov, Yetzahara. We have two channels. We're all, we have two channels. We have a, a, a channel plugged into holiness, and we have a channel on the left side plugged into the unholy, which are constantly feeding us with information and stimulating us constantly. And we have to choose. Sometimes we're stimulated by the klipa, and we do a wrong thing. But what's a tzaddik? So the, in Tanya he describes, now not everybody uh, sees tzaddik this way, but in Tanya he describes that a tzaddik is someone who has destroyed all the, the yetzahara, and he has no more yetzahara as all, and he proves it from many, many things. That a real meaning, the real definition of the word tzaddik means someone who's beyond the struggle. He's vanquished the evil. Libi chalal bikirbi. My heart is clean inside of me. My heart, the, 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 it's hollow. The unholy has been, has left or transformed. It doesn't exist anymore. That's any tzaddik, any real tzaddik, real tzaddik, caliber of emes tzaddik has gotten rid of the drive to do an avera. How much more so the people that we say about them that they are a markava. Avram Avinu is a markava. You know what he's a markava? He's a chariot of God. A markava means just like a chariot doesn't do anything on its own. You can't say, I remember I mentioned this Marshall once, when the cops stop you, you can't say, I don't know what happened to my car today. He's, he's really lousy. I mean, I, I, I really, really, really wouldn't, I would have wanted to stop, but he was just deciding to speed. It's a ridiculous argument. The car doesn't move unless you're pushing the gas. Avram Avinu doesn't move unless God is pushing the pedal. It just doesn't happen. There's no movement. The words that the, the Tanya uses that call Avareyam, all their limbs were separated and designated and devoted to God in a manner that they didn't move a limb if it wasn't Hashem's will. He was, if that's the case, what do we mean sin that Avram sinned? So we have to say that sin does not mean sin because there's no negative voice. So we're at sin. Sin means that there was a diminishment in their service. Something, a chait means that they, they were in a higher level and now they're in a lower place. A lesser chait comes also from the word chisaron. Chait is, means, uh, the, it was proof that sometimes the Torah used the word chait to represent that there's something of a diminishment, something lesser than was. So that's what it means that Avram Avinu, he could have chosen better, let's say. It could have been a higher choice and still, 
And then you can say that what? That even his sin was Ratzon Elyon, was Hashem's will. Because again, he's not listening to the other side. He doesn't have any channel of unholiness in his, in his psyche. So he's only, he's only hearing the voices of God. That's it. So you can say that, true, it's a diminishment. But sometimes God calls for a diminishment. So we can say that his sin is really also the will of God. This whole question I said before, that his sin is antithetical to what Hashem, doesn't apply to a sin of a tzaddik. It's a different kind of a sin. True, we could get away with answering Avram Avinu that way. Avram Avinu's lech lecha, we can answer. The problem is, what's with mine and your lech lecha? We too read the parsha lech lecha. And the lech lecha is not just told to Avram Avinu. Lech lecha is told to each and every single one of us in this room. All the Jewish people, every Jew in all of history is being told by God lech lecha. And we derive our inspiration from the parsha. And we do sin. We do have obstacles. We do have setbacks in our lives. And sometimes, not one sin, not two sins, not ten sins, twenty sins, fifty, a hundred, whatever, we all know. Okay, we did Shuvah and Yom Kippur already. Hopefully we didn't get too sinful. But we do have sins. We all know that. And what do we do? How do we make sense with the Lech Lecha? You can answer, okay, we're a bunch of Shlomazels. And therefore, it doesn't, you know, when you're doing something against God's will, you're doing something against God's will, and maybe you are driving off the cliff. Finished. And that's it. Finito. Nothing to talk about. And then what? Okay. There's reason for depression, reason for sadness. Okay, there will be rabbis who will tell you that. But at my on Yisrael, we will not let you leave thinking that. Chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom. In Hasidus, it says differently. In Hasidus, it says that the Abishter is in charge of those sins as well. Yes, the Abishter is in charge of sins as well. And when you do sins and you do the wrong thing, that too is, because the question it says, that is a very deep thing and very th- a deep theological discussion, which we, we don't, can't do justice to it in our discussion tonight. I'm just going to touch upon it. And that is that we have to know something like this. Does anybody really have control over any single thing in the universe but God? We know the Abishter is in charge of everything. He moves the galaxies, he causes the winds, he causes the clouds, he causes the rain. He's the one who causes the FBI guy to say last week that he's doing the search. He said the other day he's not doing. What do you think? Everybody's puppets in God's eyes. Everybody. This one is saying this and this one is saying that. And the whole outcome, what's going to happen tomorrow, you're going to see it's all the Abishter. It's all God doing whatever he's doing. And all the billions of dollars put into the advertisements and the campaigning and all of this, the Abishter is laughing. Because God is the one controlling the entire thing. No pollsters, schmolsters, nothing. It's all, the, it's all God running his world in a magnificent way. The Abishter is busy parking his car right now to, into Moshiach. That's what, that's what we're holding. We finished the journey. We just got to park parallel. I don't know exactly how the parking is, but this is where we're holding right now. Fine. Good. But everything that happens in the world, God is controlling. But you'll say, Ooh, hold it. That's everything besides what? The one area that God says we control. The Rambam says that a person is a real fool if they the Rambam, Maimonides, if you don't, not, not you're a fool, you're, you're, you're a heretic. If you say that man, and then that a person can say, well, hold it, if I don't choose my actions, so that's my Bechira Chavshis. It's one of the fundam- fundamental principles that God has given a human being control to choose right or wrong. Everything else is chosen by God. But whether you are going to be lazy now and sleep, or whether you're going to get out of bed and you're going to daven, that is your choice. God is not mixing into it. Whether you're going to say the truth, or you're going to tell a lie to protect yourself, that is your choice. Whether you're going to um, keep Shabbos or tempted to disregard Shabbos now and answer a text or whatever it is, that's your choice. 
And all the elements of Torah and mitzvahs, that is our choice. And, and God clearly tells us what he likes and what he dislikes, what he wants us to do, what he doesn't want us to do. We have free choice. But that would mean, let's think about it, that would mean that if, if we're saying that we have free choice to really, really decide something, doing or not doing, that means that something is happening in God's universe that's not in accordance to God's will. Someone is messing with the Abishter's, with the Abishter's world. Say, well, that too is God's will. You know, okay, hold it, hold it, hold it. That would mean something. And what happens if someone decides to pull a gun and shoot someone? Oh, so now that person is bumped. But hold it, didn't we, don't, don't we believe that every person is needed and every person has his mission? Some now, there's some now, some reason now, someone decided because he had the heartburn that this guy annoyed him because of uh, traffic or whatever, uh, road rage, and he decided to pull out a pistol and empty his thing on the guy's nebuch and kill this person. And you say, wow, okay, now what? Okay, mission aborted. Wait, wait, hold it. If one mission, again, you realize what God is dealing with? He's dealing with a billion gazillion missions that have to work perfectly one with each other for the world to come to its perfect end. So God had a plan. Oops. I'm sorry, this guy ruined my plan. Say, so, oh, God has to fix it from something else. Chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom to say that there is anything that happens in this world that is outside of God's control. That has to include even our actions. But on the other hand, we cannot say that we have no choice and that whatever we're doing is predestined and predetermined because then we're heretics because we're not believing in Bechir HaChavshis. And then we're not believing in the principle of reward and punishment because how can you be rewarded for something you've done or punished for something that you, or something you've done negative or didn't do, if what? If, 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 if God decided already. So here we have two things that really, if we say that we have free choice, then God is not in control over everything. Think about it. Millions of people have free choice and everybody's making, making choices and many of them are sinful, right? And if they're sinful, they're against God's will. So they're against the plan. So then God is not in control. Something stimpnish, something, something is not adding up. And the answer is both are true. We have free choice, yet every choice we make is predetermined and pre, it's, it's within God's desire that we just did what we did. Even though God hates what we just did. Doesn't make any sense? Good. It's not, not supposed to make sense. But let me just explain just one little thought. And that is as follows. What's the difference between moral choices then and non-moral choices? Elements that are happening in the world that are not related to our moral life, meaning events that are happening, things that are going on. If I end up, if I'm driving somewhere and I end up, uh, for whatever reason, getting lost, and I ended up, uh, whatever, in a different neighborhood or a different place where I ended up being stuck somewhere for Shabbos or in the airport, anybody with a little amuna knows that what? That even though I came, I think I'm coming because so-and-so, the reason I'm here is because the Abishter put me here. Good, that's easy when you get lost because you don't want to blame yourself, so you blame the Abishter. Fine, I got it. But what happens if you didn't get lost? You ended up where you were planning to go. The earth said you have to be a little more of a chacham. And no, you think you're here because you want to go here because so-and-so. The real reason why you're here is because the other day I went away with my wife for two days and we came back and I stopped off in the pizza shop. I said, you know what? I'm going to extend my vacation. One more, one more thing. I'm going to have a good, a good pizza right before I come home. Ah, okay, good. So I stopped. Oh, all the reason. But then I saw these two Israelis outside of the store, and I asked them if they want to put on fill-in. And they put, okay, and one of them had his, had his Asian girlfriend. And I was sure, man, because I have a very hard time asking people if they want to put on fill-in. It's just a, it's my shyness or whatever. So, but in the end, I gathered my guts, and I said, hey, this is going to definitely be a failure. He's for sure going to tell me no. But they were so happy to put on the fill-in, both of them, him and his brother, and whatever. So then I realized that the whole vacation, schmacation, and the whole thing, and the pizza, and all that, narishkeit. It's because these people had to put on tefillin. Okay. I, I, and, and that's why, I mean, it justified the entire journey. On a for, that, that's what it was. It was meant to be for that purpose. 
So it's harder to see it, but we have to have our eyes open and realize whatever we are, there is a godly reason why we're there. Hashgacha el the supernal will brings us somewhere for a purpose, for a godly purpose to realize that. Fine. That is, however, things that are not sinful, they're just do whatever, whatever things you're doing. What's the difference, however, when it comes to a matter of Torah and mitzvahs? What over here, what is the difference then with God's will? And here is the idea. Hashem's will in running the world is a desire, it's called chitzonius haratzon. God desires creation. That will is an external will, and being that it's an external will that God wants to sustain, why is it external? Because God's deeper inner will is that He wants a relationship with the Jewish people. So the reason why He creates the cosmos and He makes everything, His inner desire and delight is His union with us. The mitzvah that you're doing, the the chitzonius, the external desire is, he needs a setting for that. There has to be a world and everything that's going on. Now, his governing and directing all the affairs of the planet come from the external will of God. Being that it's the external will of God, it is sensed in the creation. Meaning it influences decisions. So when you're, inst- when you're driving and you suddenly decide, hey, you know what, let me get off over here and go to the gas station, even though technically you could have gotten off in the next exit and gone to the gas station. The fact that you decided to get off over here is your thinking because whatever, you're going to go over here, but there is a deeper reason why you're getting over here because God's will that he wants you for whatever reason to go over there is now directing you off. That's why, that's why you're sensing, you're consciously you're not sensing it, but God's will is causing that act in you and in everybody. Every person in the world, every human being, every object in the world is operating in accordance to Hashem's will. They don't consciously sense it, but subconsciously it is sensed in their motor, so to speak, and that's what's guiding every act, conversation, thought, every decision. It's all being guided from above. Fine. Then there is something else. When it comes to a situation where you are now expected to do a mitzvah or to refrain from doing an avera, it doesn't matter, it's our mitzvah. Here, God is involved from a much deeper place, a much inner place. And this inner, 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 his desire of, of, of the outcome is so much deeper inward within him. And a chassidus says an interesting thing. This inner will, because it's so deep and so private, so much one within God, it's not sensed and therefore not influencing the, the action. What does it mean it's not influencing? In the end, you're going to end up doing exactly what that will wanted. Okay? The will that the Eberster wants you to do a mitzvah, for instance, you're going to end up doing that, but it's in a manner where it cannot take any credit for making you do what you did. You have totally free choice to choose. In other words, even though God has a certain... Let's say if you decide to put on film, the Abraham wants you to put on film. But his desire that you should put on film is not influencing you to, because it's too deep within him that it should be sensed in any way in your soul that you should choose to do it because he wants you to do so. You're doing it because you're choosing to do so. Now there are times... Now here this is very deep. There are times that when it comes to Torah and mitzvahs, there's always two sides to that will. There is what Hashem wants you to do and what He doesn't want you to do. But both, since it's regards to His relationship to the Jew, so here's the thing. When you're doing what He... There is the, there is the yeah, for instance, the mitzvah. You can do the mitzvah. And then you're attaching yourself to Him in a godly way. Then there is the avera. What's the avera? If you're doing the avera, you're disconnecting from Him. Okay? And you're getting... And it's a terrible thing. Becoming disconnected from God. But follow, follow, follow. Why did God create a possibility for disconnect? 
Why did the Abishter, in every will of a mitzvah, there is, there's two sides to the commandment, obeying and non-obeying. Why did God present us, if you, the Jewish people, which is the dearest to him more than anything else, even more than the Torah, with a, with a yeah and a no, meaning with a possibility to fall, and not fulfill his commandment, and thereby sever our relationship to him, because the severed disconnect will eventually lead to a deeper connect. When? I don't know when. Tomorrow, in a week, in a month, in a year, in 10 years, in 20 years, maybe in the next incarnation, maybe in 10 incarnations down in a thousand years. Doesn't make a difference. That disconnect will eventually lead to a deeper connect. There is no choice that God gives us where one of them is heaven and the other one is hell. Both of them are heaven. One of them is a direct road to heaven and the other one is a road through hell to heaven. But the road, there isn't ever a choice. There isn't ever a, a, a rut. So therefore, here very, because it's a very fine line. When we are, whatever choices we make in our Yiddishkeit, to do the right thing, if we're choosing to do the right thing, obviously God wanted us to make that choice. To do the right thing. And we did the right, and we did. But when we did it, we get credit, because God's choice was so deep in Him, it didn't influence your decision. If God wanted that for whatever reason you should fail in this commandment, so that your neshama should get feel tension and disconnected, so that it will later do tshuva and come back, so guess what's going to happen? You, uninfluenced by God, how that's possible, that the, how can you in the end... <laughs> it's, it only works afterwards. After you've made your choice, which was completely in your decision, that will, that will re- retroactively show that what God had wanted. Because obviously you can't not do something that is outside of His plan. So here too, Hashem chose. Hashem chose in His mind that you need... And Hashem is saying, ouch, because when you're doing the Avera, it's hurting him. And it's against his will. The sin is always against his will. But what happened is God wanted you in the place. God wanted you in the place where you're going to be after the sin. In that very dark. I'll tell you an example to that. Sometimes you have a child, just very quickly, very briefly, it's very deep, and we have to finish this. Sometimes you have a child who is doing well or doing so, so, and so. But a parent will set them up for failure so that they'll suddenly realize where they're in. And they would not have, and if you don't, if you're not setting them up for that failure, they're never going to realize where they're in, and therefore they're always going to remain in that. So you have to set them up, set them up for the fall, set them up. So here's, again, the Abishter knows whatever we're going to choose, and God, if we chose to do something wrong, that too was accordance to God's plan. Now let me be very clear. The sin itself is against His will, but the consequence of the sin, the darkness that you're in after the sin, is where God exists. Basically what we're saying right now is, wherever you find yourself in your life, right at this given moment, you didn't, you were not the big chacham to bring you there. You're there because that's exactly where God wanted you right now. Don't take credit for your stupidity. You're there because the Abishter wanted you to be in that place. Why? Obviously, he has something really good in store for you. There, you have an opportunity to do tshuva now and to elevate things that no one else can elevate, only you because you've gone and ventured into darkness. So every sin is really part of lech lecha. We're always advancing. So see yourself walking on those one of those walkers in the airport. Even if you're walking the other way, you're still walking forward because the walker is taking you forward. Life is set up that we are moving towards our mission. And when we take a turn and we go the slower way, 
And let's, let's understand something. It doesn't mean that anybody can say, that means I'm not accountable. I'm not. No, no, no. You're going to pay for every choice. And let's understand something. The choices that we make that are bad or negative means that we're just bringing upon ourselves more suffering. We're deciding to travel to God on a very bumpy, treacherous road, taking the second half of the trail that I spoke about yesterday, which I don't wish upon anybody to do. That's what it means. You're going to get there. But you're going to get there all dirty because you have to sit down and slide down uh, the thing and got yourself scraped. And here and there, you're going to get there. And in the end, it's going to be better because you're going to come home and say, oh, wow, that was so challenging. And, oh my, and I made it! So, chas if we make the wrong choices, we're going to end up where we need to end up. And we're going to celebrate. But maybe it would have, not maybe it would have been better, but before we make the choice, if we have the information and of how much pain and difficulty it costed us, we might have, based on our own choices, would have been better to choose the other way. So here's the thing. Looking forward, we always have to, rec- we always have to go the recommended route that God recommends. And the recommended route is what Shulchan Aruch says. But if you ever get depressed about your situation in life and think you've run yourself into a muck, you've run yourself into a dark place that you can never get out of and you feel in despair, know that you never, ever, ever went out of God's plan. And every single choice you made till now, every single one of them, including maybe even a million sins, every single one was consistent with what the Abishter wanted because he wanted you to be exactly where you are right now. Are you responsible for it? 100%. You're going to have to pay the price for it? 100%. But the place that you are right now is where God wants you to be. For what? God is good. Why would he put me in this dark place? For a good reason. Because had I not, and for me to accomplish what I could accomplish, what I need to accomplish, I couldn't accomplish it being anywhere else but right over here. So now I'm going to make the best of where I am right now and recognize that it's all part of a lech lecha. May we merit uh, that we finally come with all Jews, no matter which, everybody taking their different journey. Every Jew has gone on a different maze. Everybody's coming from a different, from a whole, but every Jew, we will all f- see each other together on the land where the true selves, our true souls will be revealed. May we merit to see it now, now, and now. Assist Ich will die Radu de Legend.